0: Excellent. Good. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hope you're all well. I know it's uh... Do I need to get that closer to my face? Is that gonna make it better? Is that better? Okay. I know it's a, it's an interesting morning. It's um it's one where we we are faced like we are most days of our lives with, with equal parts, joy, sadness some anxiety, some challenges, concern about what's going on around the world, and and probably at the same time, um, excitement about some of the stuff that's going on in our lives. But I think what we need to do right now is focus in on, on the one that is constant, the one that is always for us, and the one that provides everything all of the time and knows the end. From the beginning. So let us spend this time focusing in on God, focusing in on Jesus Christ, and looking at what He is doing in the Near East 2,000 years ago, and potentially what He could do in the Near East now and in our lives. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the elders here at Real Life Church. It's my pleasure to um, bring the word to you today. And I think just before we start, I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray, um, I'd like to pray that, that we hold the Word above our minds, above our views, above our opinions, above our, um, our pre, preconceptions of how the world is and what we should be doing. So Lord, I just ask that as we come to your Word now, that Lord, we submit. Lord, I know there's... There's a lot going on in our hearts, there's a lot going on in our minds, and, and I couldn't begin to guess what's going on in, in the lives of each and every person that's listening in this morning, but I know that above all of those things sits your will, yep. and your word is your revealed will to us, and Lord, I pray that as we submit ourselves to your word this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would prophesy to us, that you would show us how you have been working with man throughout history, and how you intend to work with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in Mark. It's a series we're going to be in for quite a bit of time, and I think that's a good thing to be able to sit around um, Jesus' life and really grapple with everything that he deals with, um, and not just stick to maybe our pet topics, or the things that we like talking about. And that's, that's one of the wonderful things about preaching through a book. You're challenged as the person bringing the word to address everything that God addresses, regardless of how you feel about it. And sometimes you may not like what he has to say. So it's, it, it forces you to spend a little bit of time thinking more about that. And this is a difficult one for me, but I'll come on to why it's difficult for me in a moment. It's more about my personal history than about the Word itself. But remember, Mark is like like an action movie. It's almost like uh, Mark has selected all of these stories of Jesus, and it's all about acting. It's all about doing. It's miracles, and it's moving from here to there, and it's engaging with different people. And then you've got these little sections of teaching, like we had two weeks ago, when Stuart told us about how he addressed the Pharisees who were a little bit upset with his disciples for not washing their hands before eating. Parents, do you know what that's like? Oh, yeah. Wash your hands before eating. I mean, we've just gone through three years of being told we have to sing happy birthday while washing our hands. And you're kind of like, that's not really the point that Jesus was after. It wasn't about hygiene, was it? But I'll get there, I'll get there. Anyway, so you've got these bits of action, then you've got these interludes of teaching, and then you go back into action. And remember when, Stuart mentioned that some of the actions that Mark has chosen to highlight paint a picture of of Israel's exodus you know the whole idea of Jesus being a better Moses and a lot of the the miracles and um, and and the teaching being set in a kind of setting that that is reminiscent of the Exodus um, the fact that he's come to deliver Israel but not not just from an earthly oppressor, not just from Egypt, and in this case, not just from Rome. He's come to deliver her from the greatest enemy. And we need to remember that because we kind of slip into this all the time as well. We need to be delivered from our immediate enemy, the thing that's oppressing us right now. But Jesus came to deliver Israel from a much greater enemy than that, one that surrounds us and lurks within us and is pervasive. It's far more deadly. It's far more oppressive than any earthly kingdom or any despot could ever be. And this theme continues in today's text, except it takes place in Gentile land and with a Gentile audience, which makes a very clear statement about Jesus's mission. He's, he is a better Moses, and he's not just delivering Israel from the oppression of sin and death, but he 's delivering all nations, all people everywhere and the text is is amazing it 's beautiful because because mark well actually peter because mark is probably the reflections of peter's peter 's uh, reflection of, of jesus 's ministry he 's chosen these these moments where where Jesus engages with three different audiences, and he engages with them uniquely and differently. They come with different challenges, they are different people in different situations, and he deals with them as individuals. All of them Gentiles, and he delivers them from something. He delivers a child from demonic possession. He delivers a man from disability And he delivers a a group of people from hunger, but they're Gentiles. And at no point does he intimate that they need to start observing Jewish laws and traditions before he does that for them. It's intriguing to me that Mark is the reflections, or most likely the reflections of Peter. Because if if, um, you know anything about Peter, he's got a bit of a a reputation, doesn't he? He's got a reputation for being a bit of a loudmouth. Perhaps um, take, um, put, putting the cart before the horse. And at t- other times, being a little bit slow on the uptake. He's, he's known for being a coward when it counted most. He's also known as the disciple, the apostle that stood up and preached at Pentecost and saved 3,000 in one sermon. But then he's also got this history even after um, Christ had risen and he was one of the apostles having a, a history of of struggling with what to do with gentile converts. He he struggled with trying to reconcile Judaism and and Christianity in Gentile nations. And those were that that that's quite a challenge was quite a challenge for Peter. But it's quite interesting that in his reflections of Jesus's ministry, he almost looks at it and he goes, you know what Jesus, when you when you gave me that vision, up on that upper roof and you told me that the gentiles that had come to faith in you were already clean inside and they didn't need to observe torah you were already teaching that in front of me while i was your your disciple and we we took that that journey into tyre and sidon i think that's beautiful that that reflection comes through so clearly so If you consider the structure of Mark for a moment, we've just looked at the section of teaching, as I've said, um, about what makes a person unclean. Jesus has been ministering to Jews primarily, and um, he then reminds the Pharisees that what comes from the outside is not what defiles a person, but it's what what, what what, what comes from the inside, what comes from the heart. And today we see him move into Gentile territory. And you can't help but notice that he treats them the same as he did the Jews. Jesus' teaching wasn't actually about dirty food or hygiene. It was about people and their position before God. He makes it obvious through this section that external rituals like purification laws or, or circumcision are not sufficient to make a person right with God. Rather, something needs to change on the inside. If that is where the problem is, if that is where the uncleanness comes from, then that is where the purification needs to take place. And we sit with privilege here in this room because we look at this and we know that that Jesus' end goal, his destination, is not about um, healing someone or delivering from a demon or feeding them. His end goal, his destination is salvation, eternal life presence with God for all eternity, and that's what he's, he's working towards, but in the process he deals with all these other things as well. So the record, yeah, I've spoken about that and I'm going to stop there. So that's the big idea, that's the big idea in today's text, Jesus is sufficient for all people, in all places, for all things, and for all time. Regardless of who you are or what you're facing, He has what you need. Not always what you want, but what you need. So with that, we're going to get into the text. But just before we do, I was thinking about what am I going to title this particular sermon? Our our sermon series is all about Jesus. What am I going to call it? I finally uh, landed on the suggestion that was, was put there first, the same bread for all, But there were a couple of other recommendations that were made to me um, by some friends who will remain nameless. Firstly, the other feeding of the just less than (laughs) 5,000. Secondly, when spitting became a thing we encourage. Or thirdly, How to call a woman a dog and walk away with her admiration and respect. (laughs) I know, (laughs) it is funny and it's a little bit awkward, but the truth is there's some stuff in the text that we're going to look at today that should stir our emotions, should upset us, should challenge our thinking and really should challenge our view of the disciples lucidity because they do seem to forget an awful lot on their walk with Jesus. But before we carry on with that, let's read. So who's going to be reading the first section for me? I'm going to move over this way.
1: And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone.
0: Thanks, Becky. Okay. So, as I said, the news of what Jesus was doing going, going into Gentile lands was um, was would have been repulsive. It would have been repulsive to good Jewish folk. The Syrophoenicians were despicable pagan worshipping people as far as the Jews were concerned. Tyre and Sidon was the land of Israel's enemy, not just recently but for thousands of years. It was the place where Jezebel came from, for instance. Um, It was that part of the world that was responsible for their exile and for for them being removed from their land. It was those kinds of people that God had told them to keep separate from and to stay holy from. And uh, it was those people that had it in for them from from the very beginning, almost. They they despised them. And I, I just, I don't know if if Christians in, in Western society get how much they despise them. I don't know if they understand how big the division was between these two groups of people. And um, I don't really know either, but I feel, like, I feel like because I grew up in South Africa, I have an idea. And I've told you a lot of stories about my growing up. I've, I've given you uh, examples of my testimony and how good God was to me and how He saved me. But there, there was a side to growing up in South Africa that was not good. It was, it was very, very difficult. And I mean, I grew up when apartheid was coming to an end. But the fact was that we lived in a nation where, where people were separated based on ethnicity. And um, we kind of worked side by side, but, but there was such deeply held resentment and suspicion of each other through that time, that um, when I was young i didn 't really understand, but as I grew up, I understood how shameful that situation was and I, I remember one one thing, and it 's probably not the biggest thing politically it 's definitely not the most serious thing in terms of people 's livelihood and lives. but I do remember that um, that white South Africans would have black South Africans working in their houses for them. And you would have two separate sets of cutlery and crockery. You'd have that for the household and you'd have the knives and the forks and the cups and the plates for those that worked for you. You didn't touch their plates and they didn't touch yours. And that is something that will stay with me for the rest of my life. It's the one thing that I'll remember and think, I just cannot understand how we got to a place where we, we, we were so divided and so separate, separated and so suspicious of another person. But for the Jews, it was even more than that. We're talking about thousands of years of history between the Jews and the Gentiles in that region. They were utterly repulsed by them. So I'm not going to get into the motivation behind either of those groups. But I just wanted to give you a bit of a picture of what it must have looked like to Jewish people when they saw the man who was claiming to be their Messiah doing what he was doing through these texts. They thought that Messiah was coming to deliver them from Rome, from pagan and unbelieving Gentiles. Messiah was going to actually draw and save from every nation tribe and tongue that must have been hard for them to get their heads around they didn't get their heads around it the gentiles were still struggling to get their heads around it but they followed him into gentile lands he was going to he was going to draw everyone who would call him lord and call them to his own and deliver them all from the great enemy of sin and death not to the exclusion of the jews but in addition to those Jews that accepted him as messiah this was going to be the true israel those who were circumcised in heart not in flesh those who would have been changed on the inside not on the outside so at the at the beginning of this text there's a repeat this comes up a few times this repeat of jesus's desire to 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 keep his presence quiet when he goes somewhere. He's, he's moved into this region of Tyre and Sidon. He finds someone's house. And he basically tries to hide in it. He doesn't want to be found. But that is just never the way things happen. There's someone seeking him out. And this woman, it says, finds him immediately. Immediately. It's not even kind of like there's, there's time for a rumor um, to, to start spreading around the region. She finds him Immediately and invariably, he's found by those that are searching for him, and by those that and those that are blessed by him just can't keep quiet about it. And we'll see that in the next section. So this woman hears about Jesus and immediately comes to intercede on behalf of her daughter. I think it's important that you note this. Her daughter was not there, and her daughter was not asking Jesus anything. This Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus left her daughter at home and was interceding on her behalf. She was possessed by an unclean spirit. Later on, it's called a demon, but at first it's an unclean spirit. And I think that's quite ironic, considering that we're with a group of people that the Jews believe are unclean categorically. So, you know, probably fitting that an unclean spirit stayed there. And he responds He responds to her with... This rather offensive saying, and, and I've tried to figure out if this isn't offensive, but the bottom line is it's is. It's an offensive saying about children, and, and bread, and dogs. The Syrophoenician woman, the implication being that her and her daughter are dogs. And his immediate meaning is, is, is very clear, doesn't need too much interpretation. Um, he, he's basically saying, you know, you know that it is promised to Israel that their Messiah will come. So how is it right that I give the blessing that was meant for Israel to someone that is not a Jew? And he uses this word dog, but he does do a little thing with it. He changes it. He uses the diminutive form of dog, which means a dog that is part of a household, a pet. Some, a, a dog that's, that's living in a place with a family and is being fed and looked after. Not a dirty scavenger with fleas and mange living on the street, which is the word that Jews used to describe Gentiles, especially Syrophoenicians. So it's a clear play on that common view that Gentiles were dogs, but he puts this he puts this affectionate spin on it. It's still got a bite to it, it's still offensive, but he's doing something with it. And um, and and the Syrophoenician woman gets it straight away. She sees what he is saying. Instead of being offended and walking away she responds humbly and she says that that even the household dogs have enough to eat from the crumbs that fall from the table. There is enough for the children Israel and there is enough for the dogs, the Gentiles. Jesus is like She gets it. She gets it. She she does not want to take what is rightly Israel's, but she understands that Messiah and his blessing, the bread, is not just for Israel, but also for other members of the household. The little dog. And he delivers her daughter. Right. Let's read on.
2: Region of Tyre, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, If Aphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak.
0: He has done all things well. Okay. These are Gentiles saying that. So Jesus takes this long rambling journey back towards an area near the Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis. This this literally means ten cities. So it's a region where there are these ten cities. It's still in Gentile territory, but it's a little bit closer to where his his ministry started. But it, it was long, it was rambling, it was not the best route. And there's been a lot of debate as to whether that is actually an accurate depiction of how he travelled. But when you consider the fact, again, that we're in a reflection of the Exodus, it makes a whole lot of sense that his journey was a little bit rambling, just like Israel's was for 40 years in the desert when they could have crossed it in a few days. So there is this picture, still in Gentile territory, still on the Exodus, and um, he arrives there and they, they bring a deaf and mute man to him. And they beg him. They beg him to lay hands on him or heal him. So this is the second time that someone has pleaded, someone has interceded with Jesus on the behalf of someone else. And they've seen seen Jesus um, perform miracles. Sorry, we. We've seen Jesus perform miracles without that person even needing to be in the room. Actually, not even in the room. Never mind, not even in the house. The the daughter that was delivered of a demon wasn't even in the same place as Jesus. And the Syrophoenician woman gets her wish. She goes home and she finds her daughter. The demon has left. And here, he approaches this situation in a completely different way. They ask him to lay on hands. He doesn't just touch the man. He doesn't just just lay on hands and and in a formal way like we do sometimes, pray for his healing. He puts his fingers in his ears. He spits and he touches his tongue. Anyone want their tongue touched? I mean, you wouldn't normally do that, would you? You wouldn't normally touch someone like that unless you had a very close bond with them. He is with Gentiles; they are despised by Jews, and he is in their ears and on their tongues. And I mean, you might go, "Okay, well, maybe they are more physical in the in the Near East." They were; they were more physical, but not that physical. Not that physical. That that was reserved for that kind of close contact was re, was reserved for family. It was for those that you were in a covenant with. It was for those that you're closest to, and who you you trust deeply. It's remarkably vulnerable to do that kind of thing for both parties, for the man and for for Jesus. And that's why it's worth noting. That's why it's in the Word. This wasn't wasn't just a healing. Jesus could have done this without even being there. The men could have run and told him about this man, and he could have healed that man without even seeing him. But this is more than a healing. There's something of of a re- reflecting, a storytelling of, of God's covenant with Abraham, remember how intimate that was, and, and the inclusion of the Gentiles in that covenant, that these are people we, we love, we trust, we, we bring into our, into our family. And of course, the man was healed. Now, he was, he was deaf. Um, the word for mute, we're not quite sure exactly what it means. It might be a speech impediment. It might mean that he couldn't speak at all, but he was completely healed, and um, and Jesus did his thing. He's like, okay, great, you're healed. Don't tell anyone about it. And the more he tells them not to say anything about it, the more they can't contain themselves, and they're just spreading the news about Jesus everywhere. They are astonished beyond measure, and they're saying, He does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So what else has he been doing? Well, he's already shown that he has control over the spiritual realm. He's now showing the Gentiles that he has control over the physical realm and our bodies. And he's about to show them that he also has control over the Gentiles' provision and need. He does all things well, and they just carry on spreading the news about Jesus. So, back into the text then. Verse 8.
2: And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, having given thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha.
0: Thanks, Sarah. Okay, so what we have here is the other feeding of the almost 5,000. But what we've got is we've got a a, a Gentile audience. A Gentile audience that we hear travelled a long way. They travelled a long way with no food. And then they hung out with Jesus while He was teaching them for three days. Now, I'm going to talk about South Africa or Africa again. Um, I don't know if we've ever had a church service that lasted three days, but I know that a traditional thing in Africa is that people need to travel a long way sometimes to get to church. And church doesn't just last for an hour and a half in the morning, it goes on Pretty much the whole day, and the preacher needs to keep on talking because people are arriving and people are leaving, and it's just kind of random. Um, so you just you just got to go with it. But there's this kind of commitment, isn't there? There's this 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 is the Lord's day, and we are going to sit under His word, and we are going to worship Him and spend time with Him. And here we have a bunch of Gentiles that have not been raised in the way of Judaism, don't have the word, don't have the law, don't have anything to kind of give them a sense of righteousness or closeness with God, but they are drawn to Jesus in such a way that they're willing to travel a long way with, without preparing, without getting the food, without any idea of how long they'll be there, and to sit under His teaching for three days. That's commitment. And at first glance, you look at it and you think, okay, well, this is the repeat of the other account in Mark, but it's not, it's, it's different. In in the the other account, there were 5,000 men. In this account, there were 4,000 people in total. As I said, this is a Gentile audience, not a Jewish audience. Yes, they're in a desolate region, the same as the first feeding, and the bread and the fish are miraculously multiplied, same as the first feeding, but but that's where the similarity ends. And and really, when you you see it like that, you kind of look at that and you go, okay, fine, that's all good. There's a second way that they're different. Jesus takes the initiative on this one. In the first one, his disciples took the initiative. They came to Jesus going, listen, these people have been around a little while. They're kind of hungry. We we need to feed them. In this one, Jesus took compassion on the crowd. And he said that they need to be fed. So he took the imperative. So we need to ask, when Jesus asked his disciples that, why did they not remember what he'd just done with the 5,000? I mean, maybe it was a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month or two ago, but surely after feeding um, 5,000-plus people, miraculously you'd remember that as the disciples. But again, we're on the story of Exodus, and, and the Bible is full of examples of where God's people have hard hearts and short memories, isn't it? Not least of during the Exodus when Israel is in the desert complaining that Moses has led them there to die, and that it would have been better for them to have stayed in Egypt, even though they were surrounded by God's miracles all the time. A fiery pillar by night, smoke in the day, um, manna and quail, the seas parting so that they can escape, all sorts of miracles, and yet they were hard of heart and dull of memory. And in a sense, the disciples were similar. they they still had not had the full revelation of who Jesus was. And their questions kind of reflected the condition of God's people, who were, in a sense, still in the desert, shut off out of the promised land because of the hardness of their hearts and their stubbornness. The crossing of the Jordan comes in our next section of Mark, and I'm going to leave that to Stuart when, when, um, when the revelation of who Christ really is sort of, sort of just comes to mind, and the disciples see it clearly for the first time. But one or two things I want to point out out of this text. Firstly, when Jesus was talking to the Syrophoenician woman, they were talking about crumbs, crumbs falling from the table. But here we have an abundance of food left over after the Gentile crowd had eaten their fill. God's blessing is not just enough. It's not just enough. It's abundant. It's more than enough, and it will never run out. Secondly, I just want to point out that this is the third time that a group of people have been blessed by Jesus, even though they did not ask Him directly. The Syrophoenician woman came on behalf of her daughter. Um, The they spoke on behalf of the deaf and mute man, and now Jesus intervenes on behalf of the crowd. They did not ask for food. He intervened on behalf of them. There is something here about the power of intercession. Those who have faith standing in the gap for those that need deliverance, for those that need healing, for those that need provision. And I can't help but think, that when we see what's going on around us, when we see what's going on in Syria and Turkey and the Ukraine and every other part of the world, that we have a role to play as those who have faith to stand in the gap for those that need deliverance and healing and provision. And just let's forget about the flipping politics, please. Thirdly, and this is where I have to balance what I've just said, Their immediate need is in full view here, but we know full well that that is not where Jesus is ultimately going to. He provides for their immediate need, but what use is it? What use is it if a man gains the world but loses his soul? That's the point, really. Jesus is pointing them to him as Messiah and is giving proof that he has control over all things so that they will have faith and trust in him for the ultimate salvation. And we cannot forget that. So when we pray for those in Syria and Turkey and the Ukraine, and we mourn those who have died, more than praying for their deliverance, their provision, and their healing, we need to pray for their salvation. So I want to end here. Worship team, if you can come up. What's the big point? Salvation is for everyone. It doesn't mean that everyone takes it up, but salvation is for everyone. It doesn't mean that everyone gets saved, but salvation is for everyone. There's no magic formula. There's three different situations here and three completely different approaches by Jesus. And when we stand in the gap, for the people that we love. There's no magic formula. We come with faith, we come with desperation, we come with humility, and we stand in the gap for them. But who are you thinking of? Who are you thinking of right now? Jesus is sufficient. Who are you not thinking of? Who are those untouchables? Who are those others that you don't even think of on a daily basis, the ones that you wouldn't share a plate with, who are they? Jesus is sufficient for them. No one is beyond his grasp. No one is too far off. He provides spiritual deliverance. He brings healing and he provides our every need. Let's stand. Who are you today? Let's just close our eyes and put our hands out. Who are you? Are you that Syrophoenician woman (coughs) Are you desperate for your children? Are you desperate for their deliverance? How desperate are you? How humble are you? If Jesus comes to you with a word that could offend you, are you humble enough to hear what he's saying and not what he is not saying? We're going to pray for children. We're gonna pray for our families. We're gonna pray for their deliverance. We're gonna pray for their salvation. Are you the people, the they who brought the deaf and mute man, or are you that man? Do you need healing yourself? Are you someone who who needs Jesus to heal your body, or do you have people in your family? Do you have people that you know, let's intercede for them? Are you one of that crowd? you're committed, you've traveled a long way, you've given up much and you've spent a long time with Jesus in the wilderness and you're hungry. There's not enough food. We know that Jesus will satisfy us but we don't always know how He will provide our every need. Let's pray for that provision whether it's us or people we know. But remember, as we pray for these things, let's pray for salvation. Let's remember those 11 guests that were on the Ask Anything evening in Alpha. Let's pray for them. That Jesus will open their hearts and teach them to trust Him and to yield and to accept Him as Lord and Savior. So Lord, I just, um, Lord, I lift up everyone in this room tonight today i lift up every single person that they have in their minds we lift up the people that are immediately apparent to us in need of desperate deliverance those in syria those in turkey those in the ukraine lord we lift up those that are perhaps closer to home but they're the others they're the untouchables the ones that we don't think about, the ones that we don't engage with or speak to, Lord, we lift them up to you. Lord, we pray for our children. We pray for our children that are are struggling. We pray for our children that are, are spiritually dead or spiritually tormented. Lord, we pray for their deliverance. Lord, for those of us that are suffering physically, Lord, for those of us that can't hear, for those of us that can't speak, for those of us that struggle to walk or struggle to see, for those of us that suffer in any way, shape or form, Lord, we lift them up to you. And we pray that you would deliver them, that you would heal them, that you would lay on hands, that you would touch their ears, that you would touch their tongue. And Lord, we ask for your provision. We ask that as we commit to you, as we walk with you, as we spend time under your teaching, that you would provide for our every need. In Jesus' name. And Lord, finally, we come to you and we say thank you for all that you are to us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we just want to spend time worshiping you in Jesus' name. Amen.